Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 8, Chapter 15. If Natasha does try to elope with Anatole, what effect do you think this would have on Nikolai and Sonia's relationship? And what is going on with Natasha? Why is she so taken with Anatole when anyone with good sense and everyone who loves her can clearly see how terrible he is? Does this change how you view Natasha's earlier love for Andre? Is all hope of a happy marriage, or a marriage at all, between Natasha and Andre over? Tonight's episode is brought to you by the beverage Pepsi Max, which is a bad choice if you're going to do a podcast. Don't drink Pepsi while you do it, because it's quite fizzy. But hey, I like to live dangerously, so uh, let's go. <laughs> Rock and roll. M-C said these few... Pa- These past few chapters have gotten soapy and exciting. Imagine if you'd given up during the hunting chapters and missed out on this drama. Conflama. Yeah, Uh, drama-rama. It's one of the things about this book. It's got its peaks and valleys. It's got... Like, it's funny that the, the peace scenes in The War and Peace, like the society scenes... Are often the most exciting. The war ones can be difficult to get through. Uh, but like I've said before, a lot of my favourite moments in the book happen during the war sections, although on the whole I prefer the peace sections. I think the balance of fast and slow pace works. Um, or at least I can appreciate the changes in pace. Real Skydive says, how do you reach into the page and slap someone? Yeah, who do you want to slap is my question. I mean, do you want to slap Dolokhov for just being such a crappy dude? You know, <laughs> like part of me loves Dolokhov because he's just such, I don't know, this is an archaic term, but he's a real man's man, isn't he? He's just all about swashbuckling. That's the best way I can describe him. Now, is he awful? Yes. But at least you know he's awful. You know what I mean? Like, he's not sneaky about it. He's just blunt awful. And something about that is actually kind of refreshing. You know, I prefer that over your sneaky awful people, like your Karagans. Now, Anatole, sneaky awful, slick. He's too sly. He's too slimy. He's too arrogant, you know? Um, there's confidence, which Dolokhov has, and he's overconfident, he's cocky, but he's not as arrogant as someone like your Anatole. Now, or is that the person you want to reach in and slap Anatole? I'd love to reach in and slap Anatole. Hard, open palm, whack on the cheek. Um, or, to a lesser extent, I wouldn't mind reaching into the page and Maybe not slapping, but definitely shaking some sense into young Natasha. Because she is being a straight-up young idiot. Brett Peterson says, I love Sonia in this chapter. She is amazing in the way she confronts Natasha. Yeah, here, here. Absolutely. Natasha is really acting more like a child, the child that we met having her first kiss very early in the novel, than the girl who engaged was engaged and ready to be a mother to Andre's son. 
I think if Sonia succeeds in stopping this elopement, perhaps the Rostov parents will be more open to Nikolai and Sonia getting married since she will have proven her worth. Um, Natasha is just young and naive, you know, and I love that about her. She's being very stupid right now, but I do love that she is so, I don't know, whimsical. Oh, excuse me, I'm just drinking my Pepsi Max. Whoa, what a chapter, says Rahul the Invader. The Rostov's fall from grace will only accentuate if Natasha is to elope with Anatole. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. We all love Sonia. We all are rolling our eyes at Natasha. We all think Anatole and Dolokhov are absolute pieces of crap. And I think we're good to go on reading the next chapter. So, <clears throat> chapter 16. Anatole had lately moved to Dolokhov's. The plan for Natalia Rostova's abduction had been arranged, and the preparations made by Dolokhov a few days before, and on the day that Sonia, after listening at Natasha's door, resolved to safeguard her, it was to have been put into execution. Natasha had promised to come out to Karagin at the back porch at ten that evening. Karagin was to put her into a troika he would have ready, and to drive her forty miles to the village of Kamenka, where an unfrocked priest was in readiness to perform a marriage ceremony over them. At Kamenka, a relay of horses was to wait, which would take them to the Warsaw High Road, and from there they would hasten abroad with post horses. Anatoly had a passport, an order for post horses, 10,000 rubles he had taken from his sister, and another 10,000 borrowed with Dolokhov's help. Two witnesses for the mock marriage, Kovitskov, a retired petty official from Dolokhov, from whom Dolokhov made use of in his gambling transactions, and Makarin, a retired hussar, a kindly weak fellow who had an unbounded affection for Kuragin. They were sitting at tea in Dolokhov's front room. In his large study, the walls of which were hung to the ceiling with Persian rugs, bearskins and weapons, sat Dolokhov in a travelling cloak a high, and high boots. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why you don't drink Pepsi. Doing a podcast. Uh, high boots at an open desk on which lay an abacus and some bundles of paper money. Anatole, with uniform unbuttoned, walked to and fro from the room where the witnesses were sitting, through the study to the room behind, where his French fellow, excuse me, and others were packing the last of his things. Dolokhov was counting the money and noting something down, while he said, Kovostikov must have 2,000. Give it to him then, said Anatole. Makaka, their name for him for Makarin. We'll go through fire and water for you for nothing. So here are our accounts all settled, said Dolokhov, showing him the memorandum. Is that right? Yes, of course, returned Anatole, evidently not listening to Dolokhov and looking straight before him with a smile that did not leave his face. Dolokhov banged down the lid of his desk and turned to Anatole with an ironic smile. Do you know, you'd really better drop it all. There's still time. Fool, retorted Anatole. Don't talk nonsense. If you only knew, it's the devil knows what. 
No, really, give it up, said Dolokhov. I am speaking seriously. It's no joke, this plot you've hatched. What, teasing again? Go to the devil, eh? Said Anatoly, making a grimace. Really, it's no time for your stupid jokes. And he left the room. Dolokhov smiled contemptuously and condescendingly when Anatoly had gone out. You wait a bit, he called after him. I'm not joking. I'm talking sense. Come here, come here. Anatoly returned and looked at Dolokhov, trying to give him his attention and evidently submitting to him involuntarily. Now, listen to me. I'm telling you this for the last time. Why should I joke about it? Did I hinder you? Who arranged everything for you? Who arranged everything for you? Who found the priest and got the passport? Who raised the money? I did it all. Well then, thank you for it. Do you think I'm not grateful? And Anatoly sighed and embraced Dolokhov. I helped you, but all the same I must tell you the truth. It is a dangerous business, and if you think about it, a stupid business. Well, you'll carry her off, all right. Will they let it stop at that? It will come out that you're already married. Why, they'll have you in the criminal court. Oh, nonsense, nonsense, Anatole ejaculated, and again made a grimace. Didn't I explain to you what, and Anatole, with the partially dull-witted people have for any conclusion they have reached by their own reasoning, repeated the argument he had already put to Dolokhov a hundred times. Didn't I explain to you that I have come to this conclusion? If this marriage is invalid, he went on, crooking one finger, then I have nothing to answer for, but if it is valid, no matter. Abroad no one will know anything about it. Isn't that so? And don't talk to me, don't, don't. Seriously, you'd better drop it. You'll only get yourself into a mess. Go to the devil, cried Anatole and clutching his hair, left the room, but returned at once and dropped into an armchair in front of Dolokhov with his feet turned under him. It's the very devil. What a feel how it beats. He took Dolokhov's hand and put it on his heart. What a foot, my dear fellow. What a glance. What a goddess. He added in French. What? Dolokhov, with a cold smile and a gleam in his handsome, insolent eyes, looked at him, evidently wishing to get some more amusement out of him. Well, and when the money's gone, what then? What then, eh? repeated Anatole, sincerely perplexed by a thought of the future. What then? And then I don't know. But why talk nonsense? He glanced at his watch. It's time. Anatole went into the back room. Now then, nearly ready? You're dawdling, he shouted to the servants. Dolokhov put away the money, called a footman whom he ordered to bring something for them to eat and drink before the journey, and went into the room where Kostikov and Makarin were sitting. Anatole lay on the sofa in the study, leaning on his elbow and smiling pensively, while his handsome lips muttered tenderly to himself. Come and eat something, have a drink, Dolokhov shouted to him from the other room. I don't want to, answered Anatole, continuing to smile. Come, Balaja is here. Anatole rose and went into the dining room. Balaja was a famous troika driver who had known Dolokhov and Anatole some six years and had given them good service with his troikas. More than once, when Anatole's regiment had was stationed at Tver, he had taken him from Tver in the evening, brought him to Moscow by daybreak, and driven him back again the next night. More than once he had en enabled Dolokhov to escape when pursued. More than once he had driven them through the town with gypsies and ladykins, as he called the cocotes. More than once in their service he had run over pedestrians and upset vehicles in the streets of Moscow and had always been protected from the consequences by my gentlemen, as he called them.
He had ruined more than one horse in their service. More than once he had beaten him, and more than once they had made him drunk on champagne and Madeira, which he loved. And he knew more than one thing about each of them, which would long ago have sent an ordinary man to Siberia. They often called Balaja into the orgies, and made him drink and dance at the gypsies, and more than one thousand roubles of their money had passed through his hands. In their service he risked his skin and his life twenty times a year, and in their service he lost more horses than the money he had from them would buy. But he liked them. Liked that mad driving at twelve miles an hour, liked upsetting a driver or running down a pedestrian and flying at full gallop through the Moscow streets. He liked to hear those wild tipsy shouts behind him, get on, get on, when it was impossible to go any faster. He liked giving a painful lash on the neck to some peasant who, more dead than alive, was already hurrying out of his way. Real gentlemen, he considered them. Anatoly and Dolokhov liked Balaga too, uh, for his masterly driving and because he liked the things they liked. With others, Balaga bargained, charging 25 rubles for a two-hours drive and rarely drove himself, generally letting his young men do so, but with his gentlemen he always drove himself and never demanded anything for his work, only a couple of times a year when he knew from their valets that they had money in hand, he would turn up of a morning quite sober and with a deep bow would ask them to help him. The gentleman always made him sit down. Do help me out, Theodore Ivanich, sir. Oh, your excellency, he would say. I'm quite out of horses. Let me have what you can, can to go to the fair. And Anatoly and Dolokhov, when they had money, would give him a thousand or a couple of thousand of rubles. Belaga was a fair-haired, short and snub-nosed peasant of about... 27, red-faced, with a particularly red thick neck, glittering eyes, and a small beard. He wore a fine dark blue silk-lined cloth coat over a sheepskin. On entering the room now, he crossed himself, turning toward the front counter, corner, sorry, of the room, and went up to Dolokhov, holding out a small black hand. Theodore Ivanich, he said, bowing. How do you do, friend? Well, here he is. Good day, Your Excellency, he said, again holding out his hand to Anatoly, who had just come in. I say, Balaga, said Anatoly, putting his hand on the man's shoulders. Do you care for me or not, hey? Now, do me a service. What horses have you come with, hey? As your messenger ordered, your special beasts, replied Balaga. Well, listen, Balaga, drive all three to death, but get me three in three hours, eh? When they are dead, what shall I drive, said Balaga with a wink. Mind, I'll smash your face in. Don't make jokes, cried Anatoly, suddenly rolling his eyes. Why joke? said the driver, laughing, as if I'd grudge my gentleman anything. As fast as ever the horses can gallop, so fast we'll go. Ah, said Anatoly, well, sit down. Yes, sit down, said Dolokhov. I'll stand, Theodore Ivanich. Sit down, nonsense, have a drink, said Anatoly, and filled a large glass of Madeira for him. The driver's eyes sparkled at the sight of the wine. After refusing it for manners' sake, he drank it and wiped his mouth. With a red silk handkerchief, he took out of his cap. And when are we to start, Your Excellency? Well, Anatoly looked at his watch. 
We'll start at once. Mind Balaga. You'll get there in time, eh? That depends on our luck in starting. Else, why shouldn't we be there in time? Replied Balaga. Didn't we get you to Tver in seven hours? I think you remember that, Your Excellency. You know, one Christmas I drove from Tver, said Anatole, smiling at the recollection and turning to Makarin, who gazed rapturously at him with wide open eyes. Will you believe it, Makaka? It took one's breath away, the rate we flew. We came across a train of loaded sleighs and drove right over two of them, eh? Those were horses, Balaga continued the tale. That time I had harnessed two young side horses with the bay in the shafts, he went on, turning to Dolokhov. Will you believe it, Theodore Ivanich? Those animals flew forty miles. I couldn't hold them in. My hands grew numb in the sharp frost so that I threw down the reins. Catch hold yourself, Your Excellency, says I, and I just tumbled on the bottom of the sleigh and sprawled there. It wasn't a chase, sorry, it wasn't a case of urging them on. There was no holding them in till we reached the place. The devils took us there in three hours, only the near one died of it. All right, there we go, another chapter down. Dolokhov and Anatoly have got some big plans, and they've got their favorite coachmaster to take them, the wild coachmaster. Oh dear, here we go. I think it's something's going to go down in the next chapter or two. <clears throat> and I can't wait to see it. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.